0: Uh, now, please remain standing while I read the part of God's Word, which is going to be the basis of our sermon today. It's taken from John chapter 7, verses 37 to 32. It's actually the whole chapter 7, but just for time' sake, I'm just going to read these, uh, the last 15 or so verses of chapter 7. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus who had gone to him before, who was one of them, said to them, Does our Lord judge a man without first giving him a hearing and hearing what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet comes from Galilee. Please be seated. May the Lord add his blessing to those who not only read and listen to this word, but uh, understand and obey them. And may the Holy Spirit engrave his word into our hearts. Brothers and sisters, in year 1987, the the band U2 released an album titled "Joshua Tree," and one of the songs in that album became the consecutive number one single in the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. The song was critically acclaimed and received two nominations at the 30th Grammy Awards in 1988. Most of you haven't born yet. Which is record of the year and song of the year. And it became one of the one of YouTube's most well known songs. And I'm pretty sure if I put the lyrics up on screen or read it, you know the song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I have climbed the highest mountains, I have run through the fields, only to be with you only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls, these city walls, only to be with you. And the song talks about his yearning, achieving and trying to get what he desires and, and yet there's that repeated refrain, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The song I still haven't found, what I'm looking for, talks about the deep spiritual yearning that nothing in this world can satisfy. That's actually the question for us today. Is there anyone here today who is not satisfied? Who doesn't feel like I have achieved what I wanted? Is there anyone here who thinks that life's not turning out what I expected? Disappointed? Or, like the song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And if this is you, then today's sermon is for you. The big question that we're going to think about today is this question. How can our deepest thirst be quenched? How can we find what we've been looking for? Now, in order to help you to understand the passage that I read earlier, I think it's good to understand the context of John chapter 7. So I do invite you to open your Bible or or open your Bible app. We are going to do a very quick tour through John chapter 7. Now, this chapter happens during one of the major Jewish festivals. If you look at chap, chap, uh, chapter 5, there's a debate about the Sabbath, the observance of Sabbath. In chapter 6, coincidental with the uh, pa- Passover, which is again one of the massive huge Jewish pa- festivals. And now in this context, in chapter 7, is what, what is known as the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, or the ingathering. gathering This happens in the next few chapters, chapters 7 to 10. It's actually, it is actually celebrated, even until now, around six months after the Passover. It is also known as the Sukkot. And interestingly, I just found out last week, um, this year is celebrated between the 29th of September and the 6th of October. So if you have any Jewish friend, You can ask him, hey, how did you celebrate Sukkot this year? Um, In the next slide, you will see how they celebrate Sukkot. Apparently, they built uh, these makeshift tents with lights and celebration and dance and singing. It is actually one of the most popular Jewish festivals. It's probably the equivalent of Christmas, guys. And because, again, uh, it came at the end of the harvest and in, in... in their land, it's actually a change of uh, cooler to cooler temperature after months and months of drought and heat. So you can imagine it's very picturesque after months and months of drought and heat. Now, uh, cooler temperatures, and Jesus actually uses uh, two images in this in this feast uh, to highlight the that he is actually the fulfillment of this feast. Now, we are only going to talk one today, which is talking about the water the water-pouring ceremony. Now, as Jesus is about to go to this trip, if you look, at, uh, look in your Bible, um, you will find that um, the, the context is very important. You probably remember from last week's sermon, uh, chapter 6, unfortunately, after insisting that he is the bread of life. And the only way to take this bread is by receiving my death, which is, you know, eating my flesh and so on. A lot of his disciples got this offended, uh, as you probably uh, recall. And this is about six months after the event. So Jesus had become, you know, a little bit unpopular around the circle. He used to be the new kid on the block, the new hot thing. And now his popularity, in a sense, sort of waned in circles. And sad to say, ironically, not only among his disciples, but also in his family. You will notice that in uh, seven, chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of Booths, this is the Sukkot I, I was just talking about, was at hand, it's coming up. Okay? And notice in verse 3. So his brothers said to him, "Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may also see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, this may a sense seems like a word of support, but this is actually a misunderstanding of uh, Jesus' mission. I mean, next sentence actually says, for not even his brothers believe in him. So his brothers is basically saying, hey, the, the name of the game is be popular and make, make make use of every available platform and go out there, show yourself to the world by doing more miracles. And that's, what, that's, the re, that's the reason in verse 10, Jesus doesn't want to go publicly, but only privately. And even in the feast, the Jews were looking for him. They say, where is he? They're wondering where he is there is much muttering and in fact the word muttering there is probably best translated grumbling which again reminds of reminds us of the Jews in the wilderness grumbling against god they're grumbling about about him among the people some said he's a good man others said no he's leading people astray, astray. but no one um, no one has the guts to speak openly about him because for the fear of the Jews. So you can imagine this is the day when people, when Jewish people, not only in Jerusalem, but from many different countries are actually gathering. It's a big thing uh, that's happening there. So that's the beginning. What happened in the middle of the feast? In the middle of the feast, if you look from verses uh, 14 onwards, you will find that Jesus begins teaching at the temple. Begins teaching in the middle of the week's festival, in the midst of those music and dancing and lights and celebration. And as usual, his teaching astonishes many people. He's got no training, that is, he's got no um, formal rabbinic training, and yet his readers, uh, sorry, his hearers can't help to be impressed. And later in the passage that I read earlier, when, when some officers were sent to arrest Jesus, they came back empty, reporting no one ever spoke like this man. There's something captivating, something exciting, something amazing, something deeply fulfilling and satisfying in what, whatever Jesus says, apparently. Not only that, we also find this in this passage that his teaching created such a division that the Jewish leader thought They must act. We cannot leave this guy, this Jesus guy, teaching and creating division any longer. So in verse 32, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, heard the crowd muttering, grumbling these things about him, the division, confusion, and all that. So the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Now, friends, the irony of this situation, as I mentioned earlier, that the whole feast is actually a time of joy. The rabbis used to say, he who has not seen the joy of the Sukkot, that is the water drawing feast, he who has not seen the joy of the water drawing has not seen the jo- joy in his lifetime. Basically, you don't know true joy until you've been to one of the feasts of Tabernacles. So it's a really wonderful, bright time of celebration. Now let me tell you a bit the historical background how they used to do things back in the day. So each day at dawn, within in that week of the festival, priests accompanied by the festival crowds, they, they, they go in procession from the temple to the pool of Siloam. Then there will be an appointed priest who will draw a golden pitcher with water and will carry it back to the temple. Again with the procession. And as they return to to the temple, they will sing song from Isaiah 12, uh, saying with joy, you will draw waters from the well of salvation. And then the priest will go around the altar and the temple choir will sing the halal, which is Psalms 113 to 118 and usually supported by responsive shouts saying give thanks to the Lord or Lord save us or Hosanna. Okay. And then the water that's in the golden pitcher. Um, will be poured daily uh, into one bowl. Sorry, sorry. Uh, there will be a daily drink offering of wine into one bowl and the water from Siloam will be put, put into another bowl. And the idea of this whole procession in the whole week is to remind those who are present of God's gift of water in the desert when the Israelites was in danger of dying of thirst. The prophecy of a river of living water flowing from Jerusalem in the kingdom of God. So with that in the back of your mind, the celebration, the water drawing, the singing, the dancing, the the joyous occasion, let us reread the passage I read to you earlier. Chapter 7. Verses 37 to 38. So remember, week long. Now, on the last day of the feast. Now you can sort of get a feel of what the, what, what the last day of the feast already, right? Singing, dancing, water drawing. On that great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I do hope that sort of changes the impact of you listening to Jesus' words now. There's water, there's all this symbolism, and then there's this rabbi, young man, standing up in the middle, crying out with a loud voice. In fact, the song that I quoted earlier by U2, it, it is said that uh, the singer, Brian Eno, purposely sing that particular song in the upper register to describe a spiritual yearning that the song is trying to tell us. So this is the same thing. Jesus is crying with his upper register. If anyone thirst, let him come to me. Now I'm helped very much by a pastor named Colin Smith with these following thoughts. What Jesus is offering to each one of us is basically an invitation. This is the great Greatest of days in the Jewish festival, the highlight of the days, that great day after a week long celebration. And the irony is, Jesus has to stand up and cry out and say, If anyone is thirsty. That's the irony, isn't it? Big celebration, lights, dancing, water, singing, but yet. The Lord of the universe, the one to whom we sing majesty, worship his majesty, still says, if anyone is thirsty. He's basically saying this, all this big celebration is nothing. It's a big fat zero if you do not find what you're looking for. same with us today. We can come to church, sing, sing praises, be part of ministry team, go do various activities. And I'm sure some of you have experienced this and yet still haven't find what we're looking for. And it's quite interesting. Jesus' invitation is actually quite unrestricted. It has two very simple low bar qualifications. First, it says, if Anyone. Who is anyone? Anyone. Doesn't matter who you are, where you at, what kind of background, skin color, language, rich, poor, smart, not so smart, pretty, ugly. If you are anyone, then this invitation is for you. And not just anyone, it says If anyone's thirsty, obviously Jesus is not talking about thirsty of H2O, water. He's talking about anyone who has not yet found ultimate peace. Anyone who is dissatisfied. And I'm pretty sure if I ask every single one of you today, there has to be something or someone or some kind of situation or some kind of thing in your life in which you are not yet satisfied with. Right? I hope so. And Jesus is saying that if this is you, you are invited. It's a very low bar, guys. Interestingly enough, in our satisfaction, in our search for what we are looking for, we all do what we think brings us the greatest degree of happiness. What will make us happy? It's one of the reasons why people um, dress up or don't dress up. It's one of the reasons why people go spend as much money as they can, or can on themselves or very thriftly not spending at all. This quote is a bit provocative, but I hope you understand the, the gist of it by Blaise Pascal. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, that means whatever ways they try to find happiness, they all tend to this end. They all seek happiness. The reason why some, go, some is going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. This will never take... The will never takes the least step but to this object. And that means everything that we will, we desire is for our own happiness. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. No, he's not trying to be insensitive to those who are who, suicidal, but he's just trying to point out that happiness is one of the main things that, that ignites people's Desire. I mean, guys, even if you look for happiness in all the wrong places, Jesus is saying, if anyone is thirsty, you are invited. Whether you are currently struggling with your lust, with your greed, with your ambition, that basically means you are thirsty. You are singing with you too. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, friends, the only person who is excluded from this call is actually the person who is satisfied. Who thinks I've got everything I need. Who thinks that with what I have, who I am, where I'm in life, I don't need anything, especially this guy named Jesus. And it's quite interesting. Jesus doesn't say, come to my my church come to my teaching, come to my this particular or or that particular denomination. He says, come to me. He's basically saying, come to me because I am going to give you myself. Because Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our deepest need. And that's again one of the reasons why the officer says, no one ever spoke like this man. They've heard Probably hundreds, if not thousands of rabbis speaking and teaching and debating. But this is the one person who says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Low bar, open door, anyone can come as long as you are thirsty. If you're disappointed, if you're feeling sad, you feel you, you're stuck in a rut, if you see, feel like you're you like you in a groundhog day, you know, repeating the same thing again and again and again and again, Jesus is saying, You are thirsty? Come to me. Why? Because He is the everlasting fountain. And He actually uh, says, Right, not um, if, anyone in, if anyone is thirsty, let, let, let him uh, come to me. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John explains further. Now this he said about the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So coming to Jesus means believing in him, means trusting him, relying on him fully, resting on him. And the promise is not only that Jesus will live in us by his Spirit, That not only that all that Jesus is becomes us by his spirit, but also that the the very Jesus who fills us will also flow out from us. That's the promise, right? And this is the secret, not only to have a fully satisfied life, but also how our lives can, in a sense, give satisfaction to others by Jesus the more we come to him, the more often we come to him as our habit and pattern of life through prayer, reading the word, getting together as God's people, the more you come to him, the more you'll be filled. And there's no limit, guys. You can come anytime, anywhere, in any situation. So if you want to be, if I may put it this way, if you want to be a better Christian, a better person, a better husband, a better wife, a better child, a better granddaughter, a better in-law, a better worker, a better student, you become better ultimately by continually coming to Jesus. As I was preparing this sermon, One of the devotions that I like to read is the one by Charles Spurgeon, his morning and evening devotion. And I'm quite encouraged on the 6th of October, as I was mewling about this passage, he talks about this very passage. And let me rephrase what he's saying. He says this, if you believe in Jesus, it means you are happy and satisfied. You don't feel sad or lonely because you have Jesus in your life. Even if you are stuck in a dark place or a lonely desert, you will still feel okay because you have faith in Jesus. Even if you lost everything you had, you would still be okay because your heart trusts in the Lord. Before before you have Jesus in your heart, it's like you're always hungry. You're always thirsty. You're always wanting more. But when you have Jesus, it's like your cup is full. And you don't need anything else. You might still want to know Jesus better and be closer to him, but it's a happy kind of wanting, not a sad kind of wanting. So if you feel like you have everything you need with Jesus in your heart, and you just want to know him better, keep coming to him like a thirsty person drinks water. And Jesus will always welcome you and say, come, drink as much as you want, my dear friend. At the end of time, Colin Smith says, there are only two groups of people. Those who will always be thirsty and those who will always be satisfied. The ones who will always be thirsty are the ones who think that the one, the thing that they're looking for is the one thing that they can find apart from Jesus. Hell is a place of everlasting thirst. And I think one of the symbolism why they use fire and heat is because it's a place of everlasting thirst. You will never be satisfied. But to those who come to Jesus, you will have everlasting satisfaction. And how do we know this? The same Jesus who says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. Within a year or so after this event, is going to go to the cross, abused, Punched, wounded, nailed on the cross. And only in the Gospel of John, it says this. Sorry. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst." He's the one who says, if anyone thirsts, come to me. But in that space of no many, how many hours on that cross, as he suffered the depths and pains of hell, he experienced for himself what it means to be eternally separated from God. I thirst. And then when he has received the sour mind, he says, it is... Finish. The unending thirst of hell become, became his so that the unending satisfaction of heaven could become yours and mine. And that is why the same Apostle John, many, many years later, when he received the vision of the new heaven and earth, Jesus coming, received this vision. You probably, you're probably familiar with this, can you? with this vision, right? They, that is his people, shall hunger no more, neither thirsty anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat for, notice this, the lamb, that is Jesus Christ, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more hunger, no more thirst. Everlasting satisfaction. So you will be either more and more thirsty without and apart from Jesus, or you will be more and more satisfied in Jesus. And the only condition is that you come thirsty and willing to drink. So how can our deepest thirst be quenched? simple, by coming to Jesus thirsty. I really like this quote and I will close by William Cook. This is what it says. After we come to know Christ, our thirsty soul on the one hand is satisfied, but on the other hand longs for more of Jesus. So friends, Jesus is not only the one who quenched our deepest thirst. He also is the one who changes the kind of thirst that we need. So not only we find everything in Him, but we long for Him more and more. Let us pray.